0: People just want to live their lives in peace, and if Florida is not the kind of state where you can do that, if it's the kind of state where you're constantly persecuted, people are going to leave the state.
1: Welcome to the inaugural episode of the podcast, Immigrant Lives. My name is Elizabeth Aranda, and I'm a professor of sociology and the director of the Immigrant Well-Being Research Center at the University of South Florida in Tampa, Florida, in the United States. Today we will be discussing a law that was passed in the Florida legislature this past spring, 2023. SB 1718 is a law that aims to crack down on undocumented migration by instituting several measures. First, this law classifies anyone who crosses the state line into Florida with someone they know who is undocumented, a human smuggler. It does not recognize out-of-state licenses that have been issued to undocumented immigrants in other states lawfully. It requires hospitals that are recipients of Medicaid funds to ask about one's immigration status on registration or admission forms. It expands eVerify to employers with over 25 employees and public agencies. It bars local governments from funding community IDs. It prohibits DACA recipients from practicing law and it allocates millions of dollars in taxpayer funding for a program to remove migrant families from the state by transferring them to other states. We have invited two experts to be with us today to get a pulse on how this law is affecting immigrants and their communities. Nancy Palacios is Deputy Director of Faith in Florida. She oversees the training and development of grassroots organizers, develops and manages the organization's civic engagement campaigns, and leads the immigration work. Nancy also serves as chairwoman for LAFED, a campaign of faith in action that aims to dismantle the racist and unjust laws that criminalize and deport immigrants. Also joining us is Dr. Heidi Castañera, professor of anthropology at the University of South Florida. Her research includes critical border studies, political and legal anthropology, migration, migrant health, and citizenship focusing on the U.S.-Mexico border, Mexico, Germany, and Morocco. She is author of Borders of Belonging, Struggle and Solidarity in Mixed Status Immigrant Families, and co-editor of Unequal Coverage, The Experience of Healthcare Reform in the United States. Her latest book is Migration and Health, Critical Perspectives. Thank you both for being here today. I appreciate your willingness to share your expertise with us. So, Nancy. Tell me what you do for Faith in Florida. What does your day-to-day work consist of? Thank you first for having me today. Uh, Part
2: of the work that I do at Faith in Florida is be able to develop training for the organizers that work with directly impacted families, as well as lead organizing training for directly impacted immigrant families, making sure that they have the right information, connecting with policymakers to make sure that they are passing policy or stopping policy that would affect immigrant families and people who are directly impacted by the social issues in our communities. I work a lot with congregations and people of faith who are in Hillsboro, more recently Pinellas County, Pasco, and advocate for policy in
1: Tallahassee. So how has this law affected your work? What are you seeing in your interactions with the people you serve? This has really increased
2: the amount of work we've had to do with the community. As I said, we work with congregations across the state, a lot of them who have immigrant families in their congregations. And we have had a lot of outreach from the pastors and the clergy in those communities who are just concerned around their members leaving, their members being afraid of living in their communities, even coming to church because of these type of laws. So I would say it has increased the amount of work we've had to do. A lot of training has been put together to make sure that families have the right information. This law has changed a lot as it was being put through the different committees. And a lot of the information that people had was what the law was going to include and not the, what the law actually passed. And we need to make sure that we get that information to people. So that's how it's impacted my work. I've had a lot of calls from people who are just scared to go to the doctor who maybe in the doctor, they have told them, we can no longer serve you, even though the law doesn't include that. And so it just has put us all as on alert
1: around how to respond to this. So you've encountered a lot of misinformation out there. People don't seem to know what actually is going on and what's being enforced and and what's actually in the law versus what was discussed versus what's implemented.
2: Unfortunately, yes. I think anywhere from directly impacted people who think that they can't drive with someone in their car in the state who have said my landlord is saying he can't rent to me anymore my doctor and my clinic that I have been going for the, for years is no longer wanting to treat me none of that is included in the law but it was proposed when it initially got brought to the legislature and that information is being shared among themselves and so we have encountered that We have encountered employers who have said, you know what, I can no longer keep you working in my company because you don't have lawful status when the law says that it has to be 25 employees or more. And it's from the day that the law is enacted, not retroactive. So we have seen a lot of misinformation and a lot of action um, as a result of that. That is not correct.
1: Heidi, let's bring you into the conversation. In the research you have done, not just here in the U.S., but around the world, have you come across any laws of this sort in other places? And how does this law compare with what you've seen abroad?
0: Well, thanks for having me today. And um, indeed, it does fit a pattern of legislation and proposed legislation that we've seen both across the United States and in other countries as well. So here in the United States, starting in about the early 2000s, there's been a number of bills that were introduced in places like Arizona, Alabama, Texas, Georgia, that were intended to clamp down on unauthorized migration by doing things like enlisting local and state police, for example, to essentially act as immigration agents when they stop people. They were given authority to check their papers, and that is unusual and has really forced those law enforcement agencies to expand the scope of what they're doing, often without them wanting to do that because they now have expanded responsibilities. And then other measures have done things like impose penalties to people who have transported or sheltered undocumented persons. I will say that it has been variably enforced around these different states and around the country. So we, we do see this though as a pattern of legislation that a lot of states are proposing to different degrees. Now Florida's law is is pretty unique because it's much more comprehensive. So most of the other laws were targeting one specific group you know, driver's licenses or people who were themselves undocumented. But what's, what's confusing and a bit absurd about the Florida law, really, is that it targets people who are not just here illegally, quote unquote, but rather it's targeting a much broader group of folks, such as folks who have DACA. And it also has really strong implications for the family members and community members in undocumented communities. It also, I think Nancy already kind of alluded to this, the language has changed over time in the law. And so there's a lot of confusing wording in it, and I think it's going to be, well, I know it is already facing a lot of legal challenges. The, the state of Florida is already facing a couple of different lawsuits from ACLU, the Farmwork Association of Florida, uh, Southern Poverty Law Center. So this law is um, already being challenged in court. The law is actually all over the place, like I said. It's a collection of different measures that don't just target undocumented folks, and it's just so broad that it becomes kind of watered out and confusing at some level. It's including people who are here legally, such as DACA, people with deferred action for childhood arrivals. It is targeting to some degree legitimate asylum seekers who are also here legally. So on the whole, the idea of this law, it's designed to inflict cruelty. It's designed to instill fear in immigrant communities. It's designed in such a way that it goes well beyond the folks who are undocumented. Supporters have said that it's supposed to help to expel the recent influx of immigrants, get rid of uh, future arrivals, and provide more job opportunities to people here that are here lawfully. But in fact, that's kind of a ridiculous assumption in many ways because, as I said, many of the measures are targeting folks who are here legally in the first place. And you know, there's already been really big impacts economically in the state of Florida when it comes to our our labor market, and we've seen folks already deciding to leave the state to go to more favorable climates like the Carolinas, to Georgia, to Texas, because often it's not that they themselves are targeted by the law, but their family members are. So someone here legally, for example, who is currently working in say, the agricultural or construction industry, they may decide to pick up and move their entire family to the Carolinas or to, New York or to New York or to Texas. We've seen lots of cases of that because they're worried about the impacts on their family members. They just want to live here in peace and have their jobs. And um, this law threatens their security in the state of Florida.
1: Interesting. So what you're saying is that these laws don't just affect people who might be here undocumented, but they spill over to affect Family members who might be here with proper documents legally, possibly even U.S. citizens who are part of their families because pe- people operate in units. So they uproot themselves, but they also uproot their family members. And
0: Absolutely. And given the fact that there are so many mixed status families in this, in this country, absolutely this is affecting U.S. citizens, especially U.S. citizen children. And I think that is something that we have seen in prior types of legislation like this. We've seen other patterns where there are spillover effects, where there's a chilling effect on people's willingness to take, to go to the hospitals themselves, to enroll their U.S. citizen children in programs that they are entitled to. There are just general impacts on people's willingness to be a safe community. There's a lot of ways in which Preventing people from having driver's licenses or instilling these kind of multiple levels of fears of government institutions also impacts public safety and and community safety to a great degree. So we've seen this in all the other places where these kinds of laws are being implemented, that there is really a spillover impact not only on family members, many of whom are here legally, but also U.S. citizens and also their U.S. citizen neighbors, quite frankly.
1: Nancy, have you witnessed any of the outcomes that Heidi just spoke about in your work here in this region? And, and if you have, can you give a few examples? Most
2: definitely. I have gotten calls from people who have been turned away in their clinics who maybe were getting treatment for their diabetes, preventive care for years. And even before the law was signed, as we were doing presentations and trainings around this, the different counties... I have people after the training approach me and say, my brother, who has been going to this particular clinic for 10 years, has been told that in the next month, you know, when the law gets signed, he's no longer going to be treated there. That's not even a part of the law, but that's how they're interpreting it in the in the healthcare department in that particular case. I have also had uh, businesses call me who said, you know what, I have 25 employees. I Can I hire anyone else? Do I have to use E-Verify? What do I do with people who have been working for me for 10, 20 years? My business depends on them. That's a prime example of how citizens can be impacted. I've had families who normally travel in and out of the state following the crops to work in the fields, who have either decided to not leave and are without work because there's no crops in season in Florida, or have decided to leave and are not coming back. I unfortunately have also had cases of people who have been victims of crime, who have maybe been harmed in their community and don't want to collaborate with the police. So how does that make us safe? I think that the gray areas in this law that are not clear on how it's going to get implemented creates that state of fear, creates that unknown. We don't know if people are actually going to implement it or not. I think that that particular piece of uncertainty, and even as someone who followed the law closely, there's many things that I couldn't answer for them because it's not clear on how the bill was written and it leaves room for interpretation to be done in a way that could be harmful for families
1: or more lenient right? and leave room for there to be more added in the next legislative session. Well, that definitely leaves open the possibility that there is more to come in the coming legislative session. And, and that leads me to my next question, which is, what keeps you up at night regarding your work with immigrants? Everything. I unfortunately or fortunately
2: care too much about the community. And I have grown up in this community. I have been here for years, and what happens to my community hurts me. So I think the, the connection to the community is definitely one of the things that, that makes me really not only upset, but worried about their well being. What other also keeps me up at night is the fact that I have family members who are impacted directly by this law. I am. A green card holder now, but I have aunts and uncles uh, that are here unlawfully, unfortunately, and are on a pathway to be able to adjust, but they could be caught up in the middle of this whole process and be put in deportation proceedings, and then they can't actually adjust their status, even though if they're in this, quote, line, right, of being able to adjust. I think the fact that I have pastors calling me that their members are leaving out of fear or they're just not even coming to a place that should be a safe heaven for them, a place of hope, they're not even risking coming out to their service. I have a clergy who have reached out and said, I have a thousand members usually come and I've had half of that attending my services. All of that really keeps me up at night because I, I go to sleep wondering, is today the night that I'm going to get a call that someone that I know has been caught, has been arrested, has been put in a detention center. What's going to happen to their kids? What's going to happen to their children? All of that is something that just grieves me so much. Having to make plans with parents around who to designate to leave your children to in case something happens to you, giving a power of attorney to potentially a stranger or someone who you you trust, but that would have to make decisions on your children, that really hurts to, to have to think about that. I always say preventive measures are always better and that hopefully we'll never have to use them. But just the fact that we even have to have those conversations is, is something that makes me lose sleep, honestly. So this is very personal for you. Very personal. I, I think that over the years, it has just gotten worse for immigrant families in this state. I remember in 2014 when our fight around immigration was in-state tuition. And after that, it's been a constant yearly fight of stopping legislation from passing. It first was, you know, this collaboration between the sheriffs and ICE. And we, you know, that was in the courts. And then they kept coming back to being able to implement harsher laws. And so for me, it's like thinking around, I'm already thinking about next legislative session. I'm already thinking around How am I going to equip my leaders? What's going to be the strategy to be able to stop any further legislation from happening? Because just how this law was created with very gray areas, we don't know what funding is being used to be able to implement it. I think that that's coming in the next legislative session, and we have to be ready
1: so that it doesn't get worse for families. Heidi, how am I these laws affect immigrant well-being? You, you study health and well-being, and so I'm wondering, based on your expertise, could these laws have health effects on immigrants
0: and maybe even their children? Yeah, absolutely. There's both short-term and long-term effects that we are looking towards as a result of, these, of this new law. In the short term, we've already sort of talked about the avoidance of medical facilities as a, as a major issue. So that's something that we've seen in other settings as well where families are hesitant to go to the emergency room or to take their children for preventive care. We also see another sort of wellness area is public safety. And as I said, there's, there's really important impacts to public safety when people aren't willing to report crimes in their communities or when they are hesitant to drive when they need to. There's um, a lot of sort of wider impacts that come with um, the health issues um, in this particular law and you know in the long term we know that there are health impacts of this kind of increased fear on communities and on families specifically it not only impacts their daily lives lives and their you know sort of routines and their patterns but also their mental and physical health we've seen a lot of studies recently that dig into sort of the biochemical nature of stress and what that does to the body over time so long term we see that Fear of deportation isn't associated with things like de- depression, high blood pressure, anxiety, higher cardiovascular risks. And what's interesting about these studies is that it doesn't necessarily relate to people's deportate- fear of, dep- of their own deportation, but rather it extends to the fear of deportation of their family members and, in fact, their community, their, their neighbors. So if you live in a neighborhood where people are at increased um, surveillance and at increased risk of detention and deportation, That impacts your everyday sense of well-being and the amount of stress that you cope with on a daily basis. And our bodies aren't designed to to cope with that stress long-term over many years in that fashion. And so we do see, as I mentioned, a range of both mental health issues ranging from anxiety, depression, and so forth, but also physical symptoms like headaches, increased rates of diabetes. These things are proven in the literature to be associated with increased stressful environments, including those that are related to increased environments of of law enforcement, immigration law enforcement and deportation.
1: Nancy and Heidi, I want to ask you both, is there anything else that you think our audience should know regarding the effects of the law on immigrant well-being? Nancy, I'll begin with you.
2: If I may add to some of the mental health effects of this law, I actually had mothers approach me after trainings saying, thank you so much for the information because I have not been sleeping I have not been able to sleep. I have not been able to eat well. I have constant headaches. I kind of do a health scope as I am checking in with people and training them. How are you feeling? How do you feel? How do you feel before? I kind of do this, like, how do you feel right now? I get a pulse of what the room feels. I give the training information and then I do a wellness check again at the end. And just kind of this like, okay, I have the right information now. It doesn't necessarily make me feel much better, But I feel that I am well-equipped to now relate good information to people and make a decision based on that. But I would have people who would approach me and say, you know what, I haven't slept. I'm scared for my family. I'm scared for my children. And unfortunately, a lot of families that have left uh, the state and that are not considering coming back, really just picking up their businesses, their family, everything and moving everything to another state, I had families say, you know what, we didn't risk everything leaving a country that we didn't know where we were going to be headed to. We can leave a state and go somewhere else. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy for my children to have to go into a new school. It's not going to be easy for us to find another job. But we'd rather do that than have to stay here and wonder if they're going to apply it a certain way or not, if this law is going to be you know, implemented the way that it says it's going to be implemented, we're not going to wait around. That's that's one decision we can make and take control back around what we can do with our family, and we're going to do just that.
1: So it's so intolerable to be here that people are just leaving. The uncertainty of not knowing how it's going to get applied.
2: The fear of is it going to get worse. You don't know whenever the law said we're going to be arresting you if you're working without a social security number we're gonna you know what do you do are you gonna sit around and wait people who who are coming back into the state they're not taking vacation with their family outside of the state because they don't know what's going to happen to come back I personally know family members who had church trips outside of the state that would do camps that have canceled them. It has even limited how people can live out their faith because they can't participate in youth programs and things like that that they would normally do with their congregations. I mean, the impact of this law, I think, has gone beyond what they intended or how they thought it
1: was going to get received by people who are directly impacted. Heidi, anything else you think our audience should know about the effects of these laws?
0: Well, you know, to Nancy's point, I think the law has worked very well as they intended. I think that the law is intended to create an environment of cruelty and fear. I think that is precisely the point. So in some ways, the, the law has been successful already. But what I would say is in terms of well-being and healthy communities, is this the kind of state we want to live in? The kind of state where people do feel that it's intolerable, that the, the anxiety on an everyday basis is so unmanageable that they have to leave the state. So we're creating an environment for all of us, not just for folks who are here unlawfully. We're creating an environment in the state of Florida for all of us who are residents here, one that is unwelcoming and punitive towards U.S. citizens and legal residents as well. And I think that's what's really important about this law. And I think that, for me, that's one of the big takeaways is that people just want to live their lives in peace. And if Florida is not the kind of state where you can do that, if it's the kind of state where you're constantly persecuted, people are going to leave the state and of course that has impacts for our economy. One major impact we saw immediately was the state was losing workers especially in the fields like construction and as I mentioned earlier these are people who can actually work here legally. These were not people who are here unlawfully. These were people with green cards and legal work permits who simply left the state because they were worried about the kind of unhealthy environment that was being created for their family members. So they made a conscious decision, not because they didn't have the right documents, but because they wanted to move somewhere else that was a better place for their families. And I think, unfortunately, that's what Florida is becoming. And we as a society have to decide, is that the, the tone we want to set in Florida for all of our communities, all of our families? Because we're not talking just about folks who are here unlawfully or undocumented. We're talking about entire communities that are being affected and seeing the grass is greener on the other side.
1: Well, we will end on that note. This has certainly been an enlightening conversation, and I want to thank both of you for your time and your expertise and also for the important work you are doing both in the community and researching these communities. So that's all for now. Thank you for listening, and please join us for our next episode of Immigrant Lives in which we will be examining the harmful effects of detention and electronic monitoring devices on immigrant children. Thank you.